Welcome to the CRE Shark Eye Show, where we discuss commercial real estate. This is your host, Ishai Breslauer. Here we meet every Monday to talk commercial real estate and prop tech. We will dive deep into the different asset classes, discuss the market, talk about the new and exciting technologies, meet key people in the industry, and get some inspiration. Let's begin. Hey guys, before we start, I just want to point out the six best secrets for commercial real estate. It's a free download. Go to the text side and you will find it. It has absolutely great information, completely free, how to become a landlord, how to determine the value of a property, or creative financing for commercial real estate. All of it is completely free. Go download it. Also, I want to point out my CRE crash course. It's a two-week must-have program with a must-have skills for commercial real estate, like investment strategies, the must-have financial terms, how a deal is done. Go take a look at it. Go to the text side and click on the link. And now let's continue with our program. Hi, guys. This is Ishai Breslauer, your host of the CRE Shark Eye Show. I hope you guys are doing great today. We're going to talk retail. Retail in New York City, one of the toughest topics. Everybody's talking about it. And uh, I have so many questions. And we have the person to ask, Trevor Galina. Thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate it. And uh, I can't wait to have our conversation today. Well, look, thank you very much for the invite. I'm really looking forward to it as as well. I definitely... um, I've seen your podcast uh, in the past, and it's good stuff. So I'm ready to uh, get into it. Awesome. You know, a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about, tons to talk about. Before we even start, so everybody can get to know you, if you could give us a two-minute elevator pitch about your business. What is your business about? Well, first off, if you need two minutes for an elevator pitch, it's not an elevator pitch. So I, um, I sell retail properties in New York City. Uh, what's different about me than any other broker is that I have uh, 20 years of retail leasing experience in New York City, uh, which helps me uh, which helps me evaluate a retail property from a retailer's perspective and therefore in a, an investor's perspective. I think that was perfect, Trevor. Good. Before we get it into took a while to work on <laughs> exactly, you know, before we dig into the story and everything of what's going on in Manhattan. I want to dig into your story. I want to get into how did you get into this thing called real estate uh, going back in time? Sure. Well, um, you know, I come from a, my, my father's a developer in Madison, Wisconsin. He develops uh, Madison, Wisconsin and Sarasota, Florida, and he develops uh, multifamily. And um, I never wanted to, um, um, I never really wanted to go into the family business. You know, I come from a really large Italian family, so it's just tough. Um, the, the reality of it is, is that I just wanted to move to New York City. Um, so in 2001, um, I got a job offer from a company called Garrick Aug Store Leasing. And, and the only reason why I took it was because um, they offered a draw of about like 500 bucks a month. And it was the only, only draw I could get. So um, I moved everything I had to, um, from Wisconsin to go to New York. And uh, well, let me back up. Actually, I came out. I flew up for an interview with with uh, Charlie Og, and um, I'd never been to New York City before. And uh, within being here for one hour, I made up my mind like that that I was going to move to New York City. How and old were you? Decision, 
22. Wow. 22. Yep. So I made up my mind. Uh, I actually know exactly where I was. I was on Broadway and um, uh, 23rd, 24th Street when I made up my mind, um, believe it or not, uh, looking at the Flatiron Building. And um, got a job at, at Garakog Store Leasing. I was there. I was a canvasser. Um, I was there for about a year, year and a half. And then um, um, my first real big real estate deal I ever pulled off was actually going from Garakog to Newmark. <laughs> uh, I was at Newmark for uh, 16 years. I uh, did a lot of retail leasing deals. Um, and then I was at Isaacson Company for a little bit. And um, recently, uh, two years ago, two and a half years ago, I came over to Marcus and Millichap to start the retail investment sales department for uh, the Brooklyn office. We operate in Brooklyn and in Manhattan. I think that's fantastic. Tell me something. When you yeah, got yeah. to Manhattan, just a curious personal question. Um, and you made that decision on Broadway and 24th, you said, right? Um, yep. You call your parents, by the way, meaning you come from an Italian family. I come from a Jewish Italian family, meaning my mother is mm-hmm. Italian. And and uh, I wonder when you called home the first time and you said, "Listen, I want to stay in New York." What was their reaction like? Well, they were like, "How are you going to eat? Right? How are you going to eat? And where where are you staying?" And um, um, that was what they that that was it. And um, uh, I didn't really have an answer for them. <laughs> you know, I really I didn't have an answer. And uh, my dad just said, well, you better get a job. And I said, you know, dad, my, my draw is going to run out soon. And um, I, can I have some more money? And he said, no, uh, get, a, get a job. So I actually had, for the first uh, three years, I had three jobs. I, had, um, I worked at, uh, at Garakog and then at Newmark. But that entire time, I was a busboy at, um, at uh, what was it called now? Um, the knitting, uh, the knitting room, um, the, uh, the cutting room on Broadway 26, actually. The, I was at the cutting room for uh, two and a half, three years, uh, bus, busing tables at night. And then I had this, uh, and my claim to fame is I actually bust a table for Ethan Hawke and uh, what's his, what was his wife's name at the time? Um, she was Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman told me that I did a good job busting her table. And um, I uh, had this job on the weekend where I worked for this cement factory, cement company. So it was tough, right? Like I was working all hours of the day during the day. Um, at night, I was at the cutting room. And then, and then on Saturday and Sunday during the day, I was doing cement work and working at night at the cutting room. So uh, it wasn't easy. Um, and at the time, I was loving every, every second of it. What a beautiful story. The real yeah. New York experience from someone who came from Wisconsin <laughs> and got into New York. I love it. Yeah. Um, why retail? Uh, that's actually a really good question. You know, I fell in. I fell into it. Um, I originally was um, looking at doing. Uh, I fell into it because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I know I wanted to move to New York. And at the time, uh, the founder of Garrick Og Store Lease, this guy by the name of Charlie Og, was a complete animal. I mean, he it was just it was just crazy. I mean, he had just said. It, it, he, you know, the way he talked about being a broker, the way uh, you're really free to live any lifestyle you want to live. Um, nobody's ever going to tell you what to do. You're going to be your own boss. Um, that all sounded great to me. 
and while at the same time making a lot of money, that all sounded great to me as a 22-year-old, 23-year-old. Uh, and, uh, you know, I originally came out to New York City uh, thinking I was going to be a film director. And, um, you know, th that that dream died. And, um, I, you know, I just, I, I sort of just fell in love with brokerage and I just became obsessed with retail. I don't know, I don't know what it is. I mean, sort of, I, I just became obsessed with the way brands uh, market themselves, sort of the, the value, the, the ethos of brands, the values of each brand. And um, what I really re realized was that uh, I really liked, um, wasn't so much the branding, but sort of what, what, what's the shared mass experience of, of each store? Like, why are people walking into stores in, in, the, in the first place? And that aha moment sort of came to me uh, about seven years ago when I was talking with this guy who did marketing for uh, a museum in Tokyo, in fact. And he had said that, um, you know, when you try to figure out how to get people off the street into a museum, you realize that you are uh, competing with every store around you. And that was sort of an aha moment for me where I realized like, look, this is what we're, this is what we're selling, right? As a salesperson, we're selling access to, to New Yorkers and, and, and foot traffic. So it's not really, it's not really um, um, the branding that I loved or working with the hot brand or whatever it was. I didn't really care about that. What really what it was, was sort of why people walk into property. What, what's going to get person to walk into the store? There's a lot of different reasons to that. And that actually translates really, really well to retail investment sales when you understand, again, the idea of shared mass experience and why anybody would ever want to be at any store, especially today when you sort of have like um, the whole Amazon effect and uh, et cetera. That's a long-winded answer, I know. I probably wasn't, you probably weren't expecting that. But no, but it's, it's, I'll tell you what, meaning when you have someone in front of you that is in retail for so long, I would love to hear from you a perspective of the eras that you worked in, meaning the different eras. We're talking Easy. about the era of the Easy. pre, right, the, when retail was yeah. one thing. Obviously, Manhattan is a different animal, but still, you know, there was a different era before the e-commerce, before that yeah. time. And then came the e-commerce, yeah. e and slowly the Amazon and the like came in, and the whole retail scene, environment changed. And then the pandemic, et cetera. If you could take us a little bit of a historical overview, I'd love to get your perspective on that. Yeah, easy. That's easy. So the very first ICSCR I went to was in 2000 and 2000. And the reason why I was there is I was trying to, I convinced my dad that he had this little shopping center in Madison, Wisconsin. I convinced my dad that I need to go to, to rent out his store, his stores there. Now, in reality, I had no business going to ICSC, and he probably knew that. Um, but he did pay for me to go, right? And that's actually how I found my job at Garrick Um, And the very first time I went there, everybody was obsessed with um, um, the internet. And it was not new. That's which, which, year, which year again? 2000. 2000, right. <laughs> Dot com. And, yeah, go ahead. and the... the, the, the the uh, catchphrase in was clicks and mortar. Instead of bricks and mortar, it was clicks and mortar. And that was a big thing. And everyone was like, oh, the internet's going to kill retail. The internet's going to kill retail. Um, okay, well, whatever. I mean, fast forward, we, we'll get to that, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, I got to New York City, uh, and to, um, got to New York City February 3rd, 
2001. Broke up with my girlfriend a week later. It happened to be Valentine's Day. I didn't even know that. Oh, my God. Um, Got in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then 9-11 happened. And so in New York City, 9-11 happened, and then nothing happened, right? So nothing really happened for – I mean, I, I mean, literally nothing happened for um, – um, about a year, year and a half. So I would say there was one phase between 9-11 to uh, 2009, obviously. And I would call, I don't know what I'd call that part of retail, but that's a great question. And in, in New York City, right? I would just call that sort of a rebuilding period. Um, nobody had really understood yet what retail would be would become or in, uh, internet sales would become. Um, and Amazon was was just getting started. Um, I would say that in 2010 to 2000 and um, uh, well, obviously the pandemic, um, everybody, every single brand out there sort of knew that more and more of their sales were growing online. They just didn't know. Um, nobody knew the right balance. Nobody knew. Um, you know, everyone knew that Gap didn't need 13 stores in New York City, but nobody knew how many they needed. And um, in, in, in that time, a lot of brands uh, shut down stores thinking in, in now this is only in New York City, right? I don't want to, I, I don't, because there's a greater conversation about shopping malls across the country, uh, right. which we so can get into. About something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, go, ahead, go ahead. Finish your sentence. Okay. Well, I mean, let me just work sort of macro to micro. Okay. So at a macro level, uh, there was too many shopping centers between 2009 and 2019. Everyone knew there's too many shopping centers and the uh, pro rata shopping per square foot to the customer in America was, we were the number one and we were 10 times more than our nearest country with, which was Canada. And we, and they were 10 times more than anything in Europe right now in that time frame, we lost a third of those just due to um, uh, just su supply and demand. Um, and we've lost even more of those now due to conversion to just conversions, right? Um, a lot of those deals were done for stock prices. A lot of those deals were just done for just shitty deals at ICSC that didn't need to happen, but it was a little bit different in New York city, right? So in New York city, uh, in that time, a lot of brands conceded their, their rollout, thinking that they could just do it online. And what happened just pre-pandemic, what happened, what was happening was that um, the whole catchphrase of omni-channel uh, had taken hold, call it 2000, I'm just going to say 2017, I'm just going to pick that number out of, out of the air, where customers were, were channel agnostic and brands realized that they, were, they, they, they needed to be omni-channel. And they realized that the ROI on um, the ROI of customer acquisitions through social media only just wasn't there because everybody was doing it, right? Like everyone and their mom thought like, hey, I can, you know, we'll just start a brand, we'll do Instagram ads, and we'll sell on Instagram. Well, that just became, that, that just, you know, a year before pandemic, it was too crowded. Right. So even before uh, the pandemic, you saw brands like all, you know, Allbirds um, all and um, uh, other direct consumer brands taking money for more stores because they realized that they just that you needed stores. The other thing that sort of the sort of trend that came and went pre pandemic 
And I feel like a lot of people don't realize that these were already these trends were already happening pre-pandemic. Was there was this idea of the pop-up store, um, and you know the idea was like, hey, we've got a pop-up store. We'll push it online. We'll make a bunch of sales. We'll get in. We'll get out. And um, you know, it's the best thing we could do. Well, that was actually turned out to be a terrible idea. Um, the real the reason why it was a terrible idea is number one, you had people um, thinking that you build it and they will come. Well, that's not true. Uh, they didn't realize that uh, these these companies that were doing these um, pop-up stores didn't realize that you actually need a person to sell your product to the customer, right? The most important person in your in your in your world as a brand is the person inside the store because that is who's gonna, that's who's going to tell your story to the customer, and that's how you're going to get feedback back. You're going to get feedback from your customer to, in terms of what works, what doesn't work, and you know, I mean, look, you know, you got to like, you you know, if you're if you're shop if you have a um, salesperson with a green mohawk, it's not going to work well, and it might work well in Dwayne Reed, it's, but it's not going to work well at the Gap, but it could work well with Fred Perry, right? You know what I mean? So it's like and that was missed. So all these all these people who did these pop-up stores who didn't have anyone who understood retail, you know, they couldn't sell anything. And then the next thing they realized was, well, look, by the time we figured out how to um, uh, run a store after 10 months or six months, our lease is gone. And we, we lost all of our brand equity and we lost um, any consumer base that we had was gone. So they were like, okay, well, no more pop-ups. We need to do, uh, we need to do uh, long-term leases. And this happened, I would say, about a year before the pandemic hit. Which I don't is, know what we call that. I don't know what era you call that. Let's just call that the um, nobody knows anything era. Let's try everything era. Exactly. I want, I want <laughs> to go. I want to go for a second to the comparison because yeah. you are a New York City person. Obviously, Brooklyn also. Um, you know, everybody knows the story of the suburbs. You touched it also. Um, the story of the suburbs, the malls that were, you know, designed in a way where the big box, you know, retailers were the entrance to the mall. You had to walk through the JC Pennies and the Sears into the mall. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they, yeah, were, they were the anchors, all this story and, and uh, you know, et cetera. In the 80s and 70s and the 80s, everybody built malls in the suburbs because it was like the way to do it. Everybody moved to the suburbs. And then everything changed, of course, also. Um, at the same time, you have New York City. New York City is very, very different. New York City, you're talking about a more of a mixed-use type of uh, environment where people go down from the apartment and see retail. Tell us a little bit about what New York City specifically or the city or the downtown Brooklyn went through. Obviously, these are different, but they're both, I would say, I put them together versus the suburban type of uh, you know, retail historical change and shift if you could give us that perspective you know the differences uh, they're actually uh, more similar than you than you think um, um, so you know the idea of shopping in a suburb is that you know the old adage is it's retail follows rooftops okay um, and that's very true for suburbs now in New York City for an example when you look at uh, Bay Ridge like an 86th Street or if you look at um, Williamsburg, two, well, Williamsburg might, well, actually, let's just talk about Bay Ridge for a second, 86th Street. You know, those people are shopping in Bay Ridge. They're not coming into Manhattan shop. They're staying there. 
And that's what the pandemic proved. Um, the pandemic proved that people are going to shop where they live. Williamsburg is very, very similar, where people that are shopping in Williamsburg are not shopping typically in, in Manhattan. So it, it, it's very similar in, in that sense. Um, and when you look at like Pitkin Avenue, or Atlantic Avenue, or Fulton Street downtown, um, it, 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 it is very similar. The people who live in these areas are shopping in these areas, whether it's Park Slope or whatnot. Um, what's a little bit different, or the way I guess, this may not answer your question, but this is how I'll describe it. Uh, when you go out into the boroughs, each shopping district is only two blocks long, right? So you look at 86th Street, it's two blocks long. You look at um, Atlantic Avenue in East New York, it's two blocks long. You look at Flappish Avenue, it's two blocks long. Fulton Street downtown, a block long, right? And, or, you know, you look at um, Smith Street, it's one block long. It's really two blocks long. You've got one block, we've got your national retailers, and then you've got another block, we've got your ancillary tenants. Typically, they're the same tenants in each submarket, but not always, right? And so it's very similar to a shopping mall where you'll have your one acre tenant and then you'll have sort of everybody that's uh, around tr trying to catch the footfall. It's very similar um, in Brooklyn where, you know, you've got one Sephora on 86th Street. And I don't know where else you have a Sephora in, in Brooklyn. That might be the only one. I think there's one on Fulton Street. Um, uh, no, it's actually on Court Street, right? So you've got one Sephora downtown, one, one Sephora on 86th Street. And, the, and, and that's gonna bring those types of retailers to that area. So it, it and, and, and that shift is, is, is um, kind of forget the question, but it hasn't changed a lot. So in downturns with retail, A locations stay A locations and B locations become D locations overnight. They take a long time to get back there. And that's really stayed, stayed the same. Now, but what has shifted in, in Brooklyn, and that hasn't really shifted so much in Manhattan yet, is there's large populations of people in Brooklyn all shifting around that really don't get talked about in the news that's having a direct effect on retail. So like the demographics in East New York have shifted. The demographics in Coney Island, in Coney Island are starting to shift. So, and that does impact retail, uh, with the types of stores that you're getting. But that's a little bit more granular. Tell me something. When you talk about, you know, New York City, of course, pandemic hit, you know, we're moving forward in terms of uh, to get closer to where we are now so we can actually discuss the current market. But the uh, pandemic hits, we all know what happens that I had so many podcasts discussing actually, you know, the, the downfall of retail as well as hotels, of course. But the recovery of retail is very, very different. And we're talking about, before we talk about the future of it, Coming out of the pandemic, and there are, if you could give us a little bit of what's going on from the recovery, how much recovery are we looking at? Where is the major recovery? Where do you see pitfalls? Where, what are we talking about when you're talking about getting out of this pandemic? Well, okay, so... Um... The way I would describe it, the way the way I would describe it is, is is this: you have to have the understanding that retail goes storefront by storefront, street by street, so sub market by sub. Right. Okay. 
So you, if you understand that you could have one store with 30 feet of frontage, that's 2,000 square feet, and in New York City, you could have another store same size with 15 feet of frontage right next to it, you're not going to lease them for the same price. You're not going to sell them for the same price, okay? So if you understand that and you understand that, um, that, uh, re that retail foot traffic um, and subway ridership is already is now currently above where it was pre-pandemic, you can understand that the fundamentals for retail are going to come back in, in, in a big way. Um, you know, so that's, so, you know, in, a, in an ancillary point of view, you know, you cannot find good space in Soho. You just cannot find it. Um, if you want an apartment in Williamsburg, you cannot find it. Uh, if you want to rent space uh, in, in Williamsburg, good. Like if you're, if you're a flagship store and you want to be in Williamsburg, good luck. Where are you going to go? Okay. So in that sense, the, the retail recovery is well on its, is well on its way. Um, and you know, I, got, I mean, I've got some stats that we could, we could talk about, but I mean, the, the, but again, is when you look at Midtown, right, there, there's no foot traffic yet. So I was in Midtown yesterday. There was a lot more foot traffic than there was, foot traffic than there was six months ago, uh, but still not anywhere near where it was. So vacancy rates on a whole in, in New York City are up, um, but they're also, you know, but it's sub-market by sub-market. So I think the stats were, excuse me, one second. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, so vacancy rates um, citywide are down 30 basis points to 2.9%. Um, but that recovery is specifically submarket. I mean, Manhattan as a whole declined again 30 points, but the downtown vacancy rate downtown vacancy uh, rate rose 40 basis points, right? And Midtown has risen, uh, vacancy rate has risen, but it still has so much more to go, and that's because the return to office has been very slow. So that's why you're explaining the downtown decline, right? Uh, versus, I would say, the other parts. Um, but Midtown, it was very interesting. What you said is very interesting. You said Midtown, Midtown, which is a center of so many things, been a center of so many things. And, uh, you know, people cannot, experts cannot not put together the correlation between the coming back to the office in Manhattan to retail. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because, you know, when we walk around Manhattan, we see so many vacant stores. Uh, Terrible. So, so tell us a little bit about, you know, certain areas, certain trends, certain places that actually you see everything coming back and it works fantastic versus the other places where it doesn't. Give us some, you know, a, a professional insight about what's going on there because people are really scared about what's going on in Manhattan still, even though it's coming back. Even though apartments, even though, you know, it's hard to find the right lease in, in, in certain places, you can't find apartment. But still, retail in certain places all of a sudden sounds good. In other places, not. Talk, if you Yeah, I, I, I get right. it. Yeah, I, I, I got it. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. So, um, uh, it, it's all, Manhattan, Manhattan has always been a story of the haves and have-nots, right? So, you know, right. if you, you can walk, you can walk down, um, you can walk down uh, the West Village on a beautiful afternoon on the weekend or Thursday, Friday night. It's absolutely packed 
with with people because people want to be in the West Village. It's the same thing for West Chelsea. And you know, if you go to, I don't even go to Soho on the weekend anymore. It's too crowded, right? But if you again, if you go to Midtown, there's just there's so many stores that are closed because they're not going to do the business that they that they that they're used to doing. Now they're slowly starting to open, but until uh, until those people come back, they're just they're just not going to. Um, because Midtown is about office. If it's one hundred percent. Yeah, 100%. So 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 here's the thing, and that's what I want to hear from you. Yeah. And, you know, from all the friends and everybody, meaning I'm obviously in Manhattan uh, pretty much all the time, but here's the thing. You have a Midtown story of those retailers that are coming in and saying, I want to cut a deal, meaning obviously it's, it's now for those property owners, for landlords today who have retails, who have those buildings, who have mixed use, you know, those older apartment buildings or whatever they have, the the apartments are, are already stabilized. Everything is there, but the retail is the cream. The retail was always the cream, especially in those areas where they, where they could, you know, go and lease it to nationals. But now it's not really happening and everybody wants to cut a deal. And those owners are saying, listen, I don't think I want to cut a deal now. I want to wait another, meaning to commit now for 10, 20 years, you know, to that, can you tell us what is the solution of that? Or if you have a great idea, obviously nobody's a wizard here, but you have the expertise and the knowledge. People want to hear and want to understand, want to think of what can I do in the future? What's the good game plan for me if I have, if I own a property in Midtown Manhattan, whether it's the West, East, doesn't matter. I want to know what should I do? Uh, well, that's a real case by case basis. I know, um, and, I know and, you're going to say it, it, but I would love, I'd and, love to hear and, a, a certain perspective. Yeah. Obviously, we don't have three hours, but that's fine. You know, a certain perspective. Um, I, I think I understand that. I think I, under, I think I understand the question, and I think there is enough to back up. I think that you have to sort of understand. There's a couple things at play here, and one thing, one big thing at play is is the media. Okay. So you can read about uh, the vacancy rate on on Fifth Avenue in the Plaza District. It'll be you know 30%, and that's what you'll read. And you won't understand that if you go to Hell's Kitchen on Eighth Avenue between 42nd Street and, and Columbus Circle. I was up there yesterday, and I think I counted three vacancies, four vacancies on 10 blocks, and those are very small vacancies. So right. it's actually right. a pretty health. That's actually a really really healthy number. Um, when you look, you know, and it, you know, and I do hear, by the way, at Fifth Avenue, a very, very big deal just got done on Fifth Avenue, which I can't talk about. Um, but those sort of questions about, hey, what should we do? What should we do if if there's a retailer that wants to cut a deal? Um, everyone's cut. Everyone's making deals, cutting deals. I mean, there's nobody. There's nobody. There's nobody that's not cutting a deal who cannot make a deal. Uh, if you're a landlord and you don't have any mortgage on your property and you don't care because you just don't care. Well, you're fine, right? But even those people are making deals because they don't really care. Um, everybody is, 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 cut, is cutting deals uh, to get their storefronts rented. It ha- really has to do with the quality and the character of, of your tenant because most, retail, most landlords just got out of uh, a two-year uh, hellhole of battling people where the, there's no eviction moratorium, where there's an eviction moratorium. 
So right. they're looking at, I, I'd say, forget about the deal. Look at the person you're going to do a deal with, right? You can't make a good deal with that person, right? So like you got to look at what that person's track record is, what that company's track record is, and whether or not um, you want to have to go through another pandemic or another shutdown that could happen. So that, that's, that's the only advice I have is look at the person you're dealing with and what is their track record. That's a good advice. Definitely a good advice. I want to go up in Manhattan for a second and then go back to Brooklyn. Um, sure. If we travel up to Manhattan, Upper West, Upper East, uh, a lot of vacancies there, even though it's not, yeah. even though it's not an office area, you're talking about a prime, prime location residential area, you know, with you talking about the have and have nots, obviously we know who lives there and, and, and the prices yeah. there. Why? Why is why so many vacancies in those areas? That that I can't put my head together. Well, I think you're looking at um, uh, two different things. I mean, on, on the Upper West Side, well, I'll tell you one one good reason is how many people have have left. How many people left in the pandemic? Right? How many of those people moved to Miami or or uh, out east? I mean, I think I think. I read that the Upper West Side lost something like 300,000 people in the first six months. Well, how do you think that's going to impact retailers there? Yeah, but people are back. Am I mistaken? People are coming back who came back. They're coming, they're coming back very slowly. I got it. So you, what you're saying is that even though it's back, it's not totally back, and that's what not delays. Totally. Every not, every comes not, in delay. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not totally back, but I mean, you, you, the Upper East Side is very different than the Upper West Side. I mean, Third Avenue on uh, the Upper East Side, so the primary of Third Avenue has a very different cost. Well, okay, so it, okay, it, it's it it's as much as a retail. It was as much as a retailing re, retailing problem as it was a retail real estate problem, meaning that. Um, Pre-pandemic, a lot of brands didn't know, again, how many stories they needed to have. And when you look at, like Madison Avenue is a, is a, is a good example. So Madison Avenue, uh, when you look at Madison Avenue, call it 2019, uh, I think the vacancy rate there was like 20%, like th- we'll call it, let's call it 27% vacancy rate. But that's even such a bad example. I mean, that's actually a bad example. I mean, I almost like it is. I mean, it's just a bad example of percentage-wise because because it, it's it's misleading. What when you look at Madison Avenue, when you look at the brands, these luxury brands, well, think what was happening uh, in 2019 with luxury shopping, right? Everybody wanted to have this luxury meet street, right? So like, well, okay, so every luxury brand now had sneakers. Right. So what did that mean? What did that mean for Madison Avenue? Well, all those luxury brands wanted to go downtown because that's what was cool until Bathing Ape decided to go uptown. Right. And what you also had was you had this idea that nobody was ever going to go below Barney's um, until everybody wanted to go below Barney's. And so there was that sort of shift. And the reason why everyone wanted to go below Barney's was because um, guys in hedge funds were now dressing differently and this whole idea of wearing elevated shot, you know, expensive suits just without the door. So there was a lot of that going on. And that did translate to uh, third Avenue in terms of like who wanted to go where on, on third Avenue. So I think when you look at, Oh, when you say, Oh, there's all this vacancy and upper, 
Upper West Side, Upper East Side, you better really look to see how many, how many, how many stores are actually vacant and what they actually look like. That's an amazing thing. Good perspective, as we call it. But uh, you know what? We'll have to we'll have to be patient, I guess, and see what happens. That's uh, there's no other way. Let's travel yeah. to the Bronx but for I, a second. Tell us about the Bronx. Uh, I don't know anything about the Bronx. Oh, you you don't deal with the Bronx. I don't know, I don't know a thing about the Bronx. I don't. I don't. The only thing I tell you about the only thing I tell you about the Bronx is is that every single uh, area, every single outer borough. Um, went down in retail vacancy except for the Bronx, which had about 300,000 square feet of retail space come to come to the market. Interesting. But in terms of the, in terms of the Bronx, you know, I just don't have a lot of uh, investors looking for the Bronx. Most of my investors are looking for um, Brooklyn and Brooklyn and that's and my Manhattan next thing right now. Yeah, that's Manhattan my- right now. And so what I would say is that it is like the conversation about about um, well, uh, you should ask the questions. I mean, I, I, I I'll just go on and I'll just, I'll just keep talking. <laughs> yeah. uh, what I, I, will, to... I will just keep talking. You have to interrupt me. But no, no, it's good. Uh, I, you, how do you say? I love, I love listening to you. So, yeah. so it works out. Uh, the question I have is about Brooklyn. Yep. Brooklyn is definitely a different animal. Brooklyn had all the people who, at the time, said about Manhattan. I don't want to meaning Manhattan is so expensive. I can live very close to Manhattan without being in Manhattan and boom, Brooklyn became what it becomes. And even the skyline in Brooklyn is changing. Everything is changing yeah. in Brooklyn. And yeah. what is the environment, the retail environment? Obviously Brooklyn is huge. So we're talking about different areas in Brooklyn, but yeah. tell us yeah. about your experiences in Brooklyn and where you operate in Brooklyn. You sure. started speaking sure. about Williamsburg. If you could give us a little bit yeah. of an overview, what's going on there. Um, well, Brooklyn is fascinating. Uh, you know, there is, there has been very strong demand, believe it or not, for retail properties that are leased. Um, if you have a retail property that's leased, you're gonna have a lot of investors looking to go there. That's that's been the case um, for the last 24 months. Whether you know, we sold a property out in Coney Island, a retail condo, um, and we had, and it was, it was, we had long-term leases with neighborhood oriented service tenants and we had plenty of offers. Um, I, you know, I, I was selling a retail property in Midwood, uh, was not fully leased, had a lot of problems and it, it's been really tough because it's not, because it was, how do you finance it, right? Because you only have half the people, half the people or half the uh, retailers paying rent. Um, so it, it was really tough. Um, I had a, uh, I have a, um, 10,000 square foot build a suit opportunity to purchase out in, um, call it uh, Mill Basin or Kings Plaza area. And we're talking to a lot of owner occupiers, which is actually a really interesting thing. So, um, you know, Swarovski bought their property on, um, in Broadway and Soho. I'm sorry, uh, uh, not Swarovski, Uniqlo. What am I thinking? Uniqlo bought their property at, four, at 452 Broadway. Um, I am selling a uh, property in a retail condo in Tribeca to an owner user. And I'm hearing that there's a lot more demand for owner users to purchase their properties um, all over the city because there's, it's just hard to find space, believe it or not. And in Brooklyn, 
um, people people have for the last 18 months been looking for sort of the tried and true uh, Amazon proof retail uh, shopping destinations where uh, they know their investments uh, are going to be are going to be safe and and there's no speculative money there's no stupid money everyone everybody just gets it so a lot of the people that are looking in um, let's just call it Williams Brooklyn minus Williamsburg okay uh, they're all Brooklynites they understand Brooklyn they, they they know it they either were raised in Brooklyn or they have Brooklyn assets for a long time and they understand that um, uh, it's very sort of mom and pop and the retailers are mom and pop or they're national and everyone just sort of sort of gets it what's new in the past 60 days is we now have large capital groups looking for assets in Williamsburg and or in, in, in Brooklyn. So sort That's of interesting. Yeah. So the people that um, have lived through the past down cycle or the people I let me just say the people who have studied retail uh, for a long time who I've known for, for years have not, are not calling me looking for, for deals. Um, and that tells me that these are the type of people, now I've been through three, four downturns now, and these are the type of people that are, who are looking to get back into the market. They're the first people who, who are usually follow the wave, right? Um, and they're usually very sophisticated. They usually understand retail really, really well. And um, whether or not they take the plunge and take the risk, well, they, they, they typically are. So we are now seeing that. And that's sort of new as of the past 60 days, maybe 90 days. Tell me something. Looking into the future, where do you see the market going, especially the retail market going in those areas? Very, very strong. How come? Very strong. Where, where everybody, well, where everybody, yeah. meaning, I, I tend to agree with you, but I just, yeah. I want to put it, meaning to play a devil's advocate and, and say, sure, go ahead. Um, you know, everybody's talking about the market's going to crash. You know, you all, you have everybody, you know, everybody's coming out talking about how the, you know, uh, I'm talk, talking about the entire, you know, the entire market, obviously, you know, everything is blown up. Everything is overpriced. Everything is... You know, uh, inflation is going this way. This is going that way, and we're going to have another collapse. Um, tell us, retail, where is it going? Well, let me ask you this: If retail hasn't already collapsed, how is it? How is it going to collapse again? Right? Number one, you tell me that. Okay. Um, Interest rates, yeah, sure. It's gonna have an imp it's gonna have an impact on on uh, values, of course. But when you look at the fundamentals, they're all they're all there. So um, vacancy rates are down. They just they they just are. Asking rents are up. They just are. You cannot you know you've got brands now competing for space. You've had brands competing for space for the last nine months. Um, what is the cap rate on a multifamily unit right now in, in anywhere in America, in Williamsburg, right? What's the cap rate on a, on a CVS with 10 years in Florida right now? Well, when you look at, when you look at the cap rate game, how much longer are people going to be fighting over four caps 
when they can get a you know six cap in in retail. So I, th I think I think that a lot of people can't you know it's a great time for a sophisticated for a sophisticated investor right now. If you've got the ability to to uh, drown out the noise and you understand retail, you're going to do really well in the next uh, 36 months. If you're going to pay attention to every uh, tweet out there by some armchair quarterback, you're, you're just not going to buy, period, right? You're going to, you're going to always be waiting for the, the sky to fall and sort of like, guess what, guys? The sky falls. You know what I mean? Guess what? We've just been through a two-year pandemic, and um, people are still open. Good point. Yeah. I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to touch a little bit before we said our goodbyes. I want to touch a little sure. bit your, you know, your operation. If you could tell us about your operation, what do you guys yeah. do, your team, everything around it, um, how you function, how you help people get their leases or yeah. sell and buy. Go ahead. Yeah, easy. So uh, right, right, now, it, it, right now, it's sort of a couple different things happening at once. Um, we're doing a lot of, uh, the team here is doing a lot of 1031 exchange work, which we've always done. Because uh, a lot of the people that are that are selling in Brooklyn uh, are selling for a couple different reasons. Uh, they're selling because of um, uh, tired of management, or quite frankly, I hate to say this, but I do think it needs to be said, this actually needs to be said. Like A lot of people that are selling in Brooklyn right now are are all moving to Florida, right? I, you know, and because... They're tired of either they're tired of management, or they do not like the uh, the politics of the city. Certainly, no one likes this whole new idea of storefront registration, which makes all the per, all, you know storefront registration. I think it's act. I don't know what it is, but uh, the paperwork to, to operate a store with New York City has gotten a lot more difficult for uh, already a difficult task. So, we're working on a lot of 1031 work, mostly in Florida and Texas, but some other states. Uh, the other thing that the other the other two assets that we're doing is uh, we are evaluating retail property rates to market. So in other words, if the property was vacant, what could you rent it for? Which is the number one question. And number three is um, uh, you know who are the owner occupiers that are going to pay the highest price? That's th those are the top three ways that we're helping people out uh, right now. Trevor, before we say goodbye, tell everybody how they can goodbye find goodbye. you. Goodbye for now. What? It's goodbye for now. Goodbye. You, you got it. How can people find you if they want your service? They want to lease out their property. They want to sell. They want to well, buy. I, yeah, I, just, Go ahead. I only do sales. I only do, I only do sales. Um, well, oh, I'm trying to make sales. it as okay. easy. I only do sales. Investment sales. Um the best way to find like I'm on I'm on all the uh, I'm on I'm on I'm on Instagram I'm on LinkedIn I'm on I've, I'm on Facebook Marcus and Millichap website uh, I try to make it really easy for people to get out to to reach out to me. You guys see the links above below, and uh, we had the treat today to hear a professional in the city and in Brooklyn who knows the in and out, who obviously understands the depth of what's going on in the retail. And a lot of you that you guys basically are in this market, you own properties, you own properties, you want to buy properties, you want to get in there. You've got a professional right here, Trevor Galea. Thank you so much for being with us. I really hey, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate uh, the opportunity. 
And I really appreciate uh, speaking to you. It's, it's, been, it's been a pleasure. No problem. And you guys, I'm going to see you in the next show. Hey, guys, thanks for joining me in this CRE Shark Eye show. I hope you enjoyed it. And go subscribe, download, do whatever you guys need to do. And I'll see you in the next episode. Take care of yourselves.